All right, go ahead and follow along here. We're going to start on John 19, verse 28. So after this, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on the hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and he, borrowed, and he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that, they had, that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and, wa- and water. He who saw it bore witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you must also believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look at him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of mirth and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound in linen cloth with the spices, as is burial custom for the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had been laid yet. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. If you have your Bible, go, go back to that passage that we were reading earlier in John 19, please. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats, it's page 905. There's a lot in this chapter that we could talk about, right? Um, and so we won't have time to go through everything. One thing about me that you may or may not know is uh, I love the concept and I wish it were true. I know it's not, okay, all right. But I wish time travel were possible, right? Yeah. TV shows that have time travel things to it, I just, I'm drawn to that. I, I think of all the different places I would go. One place I would go, February, February 17th, 1855, Verona, Wisconsin. I would come to this place when that was the time where four congregations, four Baptist congregations that had been meeting in, in Verona here in kind of an informal way, informal way rather, they uh, got together and said, we're going to start a church. And they didn't call it Memorial Baptist Church. It was called First Baptist Church of Verona at the time, or Verona Baptist Society. It's gone through a few names. I'd love to go back to that. There's other times in history that I'd like to go back to and, and be part of and see things. Um, I got to thinking about this, though. I thought, if time travel were possible, would I choose to go back to John 19? Would I go back to the crucifixion? Would I want to be there and watch that? I don't know. 
I've, I've wrestled with this back and forth. I mean, part of me, I mean, I mean that's, that's hugely significant to my life, right? So part of me wants to be there for it. But that would be a really hard scene to be at, right? Um, part of the reason why I would like to go is to hear what Jesus said on the cross, okay? If, if you take all the Gospels together, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you, and you put them together, there's really about seven sayings that Jesus says from the cross, okay? John doesn't record all those for us, and so we're not going to look at all those. We're just going to limit our scope to tonight to what John talks about here in verses um, 26 through 30. Um, but I think that we can get some really good nuggets to chew on and think on on this Good Friday, if we just look at these words from the cross, okay? So that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, first of all, well, let me pause and just pray. Um, God, whenever I, I, I talk about your word, we just got to stop for a second and ask for your, your guidance and your blessing. And I pray that as I communicate some truths from this text, that it would be your word that I'm communicating and that your spirit would guide us and we'd make a helpful application. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, what I want to talk about there is the, this, uh, what we see in verse 26, where he says, Jesus saw, he's hanging on the cross, he saw his mother and disciple whom he loved standing nearby. He says to his mother, woman, behold your son. Uh, this is a phrase, you know, when he called his mom woman in, in English, that would, in our culture, that would be very disrespectful. It was not in, in this, just so you know. He says, behold your son. He's talking about John there. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And for that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, why do you say that? Well, part of it, I mean, I think some of the significance of this is that uh, this was a, a, a stark fulfillment of prophecy that, that John is bringing to our attention here. You remember back in Luke, and we won't have time to turn there, but remember back in Luke when Simeon was blessing Jesus when he was born. This is chapter 2, and an infant Jesus is there. Mary and Joseph have brought Jesus to the temple, and, and they're dedicated him there. They're going through all the, the rituals that need to be uh, done there at the temple. And then Simeon and Anna, they meet him there, and Simeon says something to Mary. Basically, he says, a sword will pierce through your own soul as well. I don't know if you remember that or not, but that's what he said when he was born. That's this moment right here. You know, this, this is the lady who, you know, she, she was the first human to kiss this baby's forehead probably, and now she's looking and there's, there's a crown of thorns on that. It had to be an incredibly difficult moment, incredibly difficult time for her, but it fulfilled the prophecy. Fulfill the prophecy was there. This is also an example of tremendous honor for Jesus to be concerned about his mother. I mean, just think for a minute what Jesus has gone through here. The night, the long night in the garden beforehand when he asked his disciples to stay up and pray with them and they couldn't stay awake. And, 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 and that, that, that feeling of rejection possibly or, or the betrayal of Jesus in the garden. And what about the interrogation that Jesus has just gone through? He's just been beaten. He's gone through mockings. He's had to carry his cross. He, he was so exhausted he couldn't even carry the cross. They had to pull someone from the crowd and carry it for him. And he is physically spent and he's in pain and he's in agony. And in the middle of that, he sees his mom and he cares for his mom. That's an honor to his mom there. 
In the midst of all that, he was concerned about his mother's well-being. And, and probably because if you notice, Joseph is mentioned there, and, and, and the, the most uh, understood reason for that is that Joseph wasn't alive at this point. Uh, we don't really have any indication of Joseph even after uh, when Jesus was in the temple as a young boy, uh, when he got lost there for a few days there. Uh, we don't have any other contact of, of Joseph after that point of Jesus' earthly uh, adoptive father. Most people understand that to mean that, that Jesus' uh, adoptive earthly father and Joseph had died when Jesus was a teenager, and so now at this point in his life, Mary is alone there, and Mary needs help. And so, he looks at John and says, I want you to care. I want you to care for her. Um, I like what one person said about this. He says, you know, the years of obedience to Joseph and Mary had ended, but not so the years of honor. And so here in this moment on the cross, Jesus is honoring his mother. He's caring about people in his darkest hour, in his worst moment. That's encouraging to me, that he cares for people in those dark hours. There's another part about this is that we often don't think about here, that you know, when Jesus, he says, behold your son, okay, and then behold your mother, he's talking to John here now, this is really, all of a sudden, John's back on the scene. This is the return of a deserter. Because remember, Matthew 26 tells us all the disciples fled and left. And they left him high and dry. He was alone. But yet now, all of a sudden, we have John right back on the scene, and he's watching the crucifixion and stuff. And so he's returned. And so instead of just rebuking or being angry with John, no, no, no. What Jesus does is he graciously entrusts his mother's care to this disciple, restore the restorative nature of the cross, of bringing them back together. It's just beautiful. There's so many beautiful things here, and so many narratives that we can explore here. But then this first saying here that we're looking at here that John records for us, he's concerned about his mother, and it's, a, it's just the care of Jesus being on display here. Care towards Mary, care towards um, John. It's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. If we continue reading, maybe you need to turn the page there, but in verse 28, it talks about how then Jesus, he's knowing that, it is verse 28, knowing that all is now finished, he said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. And so here we have, after the word of care, we have the word of need. This is an example of Jesus' humanity. Angels don't get thirsty. God doesn't get thirsty. In fact, we're told that if we believe in Christ and we have our resurrected bodies and we spend eternity in heaven with God, we're told in Revelation that we will never thirst again. But yet here, Jesus on the cross is thirsty. He knows the limits of humanity. So when I look at this and this Good Friday, I'm looking at this and Jesus, you've got to remember, he's hanging on the cross here and he says, I thirst. He knows the limits of the body. He knows the limits of humanity. He knows the fragility of life that you and I deal with every day. Before the service today, Carol and I were talking, just had a quick word, and, and she just mentioned something. She goes, well, yeah, these are the things you have to look forward to as you get older, right? You know? I said, there's a long list of stuff I'm told that I have to look forward to when I get older. Humanity is frail. Our lives are, uh, they're wasting away and in some ways and decaying away. Jesus understands that. He's hanging on the cross on this Good Friday. He knows what 
we go through. So it's an example of humanity, but it's not just an example of humanity when he says, I thirst. It's also examples of humility. Because what he's saying here, this is showing his reverence to scriptures. Did you notice what John said here? In verse 28, he says, he said this, brackets, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And so the reason why he said I thirst, or one of the reasons, is not just because he was actually physically thirsty, although that was true, it was also so that he would um, fulfill scripture. Psalm 69 talks about this, and there's other prophetic texts in Messianic Psalms that talk about the, the anguish that Jesus was going through, but very specifically Psalm 69 references this idea of thirst here. And so Jesus has shown his, his humility and just his submission to the scriptures and that he wants, and he was going to make sure every part of scripture is absolutely fulfilled, even in the most difficult moment of his earthly life. And if he's so concerned about scripture for that and so concerned about scripture being fulfilled to the very letter and to the very dot, that just, that's just in this Good Friday, what it does for me is it just makes me want to run back to the Scriptures. And it makes me just want to say, this is where my hope is. Jesus, in his darkest hour, in the, in the most pain and suffering that we can imagine, here he was saying, we're going to cross that T, we're going to dot that I. We're going to make sure that everything is fulfilled here. And so when I see a promise that says that if I confess my sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse of all unrighteousness, I can believe it. When I see things, it's like, you know, that we can, we can have unity and grace and peace in a world full of conflict. I believe it because Jesus on the cross says, I'm going to make sure that the Scripture is fulfilled. Submission to the Scriptures, reverence for the Scriptures, but also submission to the Father. I mean, this whole situation here, this whole uh, the crucifixion scene, this was something that Jesus was saying. He was saying, Remember, not my will, but thine be done. And this wasn't that there was a conflict there. Don't read that, that there was a conflict where Jesus didn't want to do it, and then the Father made him do it. That's not what that's saying. But what it's saying is that Jesus is saying, I have come to do the Father's will. Complete submission to that. Think about the, the This is the one. This is the one who, 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 you know, in the Old Testament, God gave water out of a rock to quench the thirst of Israel. And now he hangs and says, I thirst. This is the one who, who just a couple years ago, a few years before this, he's at a wedding, and they've run out of wine. So he takes the, he takes the water and turns it into the wine. This is the same one he hangs, and he says, I thirst. And why does he do that? Why does, he, why does he put himself in these positions? And why does he, he allow that suffering and, and allow that agony? Because he was submitted to the Father's will to redeem humanity. How beautiful is this? Shows his humility. And so I think about this. I think about, am I that committed to the Father's will for my life? Am I that concerned, like, even if God's will leads me through discomfort or leads me through pain or leads me through suffering in some ways, am I willing to say, I'm going forward, I don't care because I'm following the Father's will? Am I willing to do that? You see, this Good Friday, this is a really good reminder to me, and I hope it's a good reminder to you as well. As Jesus hung there, he says, I'm here to do the Father's will, and I thirst and part of the Father's will is for me to experience agony so that sin can be taken care of. What a beautiful time. It's terrible. If I had a time machine, I don't know that I'd want to go back and watch it. 
But it was a grace event in human history. So we have a, a word of care. And he says, take care of my mom. And it's not just my mom, it's now your mom. We have a word of need here when he says, I thirst, and we can unpack this theologically, and I'm just giving you kind of a, a highlight of it. I, I feel like I'm kind of like a crop duster and just boom, flying over and just spraying stuff, and hopefully you just start thinking about this stuff a little bit more on this Good Friday. There's one more word I want to share that John, I want to talk about that John shares. In verse 30, Jesus, when Jesus had received a sour wine, he said, it is finished. Uh, this was originally written in Greek. It's actually one word in Greek, tetelestai. So in one word here, what Jesus is saying is he's given us a word of victory. What was going on? What is he trying to say in this? And why did he say it is finished? What is he talking about here? And, and theologians have spilled gallons of ink writing about this verse right here. And there's so much here, so much here. We can't unpack all of it here, but let me just give you some, some categories to think in about when you're thinking about this word of victory here. One of the things that he's communicating with this is that the mission of the incarnation has been accomplished. And the incarnation, of course, is when Jesus took on human form and then he became a baby. This is the Christmas story, right? And so, you know, 30-ish years before this event, Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, the incarnation, and the whole point the whole point of that was so that he would die. That was the point of it. Because he needed to live that perfect life of obedience and then die to death and, take and, die, and die a death that he didn't deserve to die so that then that could be credited to us, to the people that he died for. What a beautiful thing. And so in this moment when Jesus is hanging there and he knows in just a few minutes and he doesn't, he doesn't John doesn't record this for us, but he says, Father, I commend you my spirit here. Jesus knows that, the, I mean, we're seconds away from his life on earth being done and being taken care of and him being killed on the cross there. And so he says the mission is completed. Remember in John chapter 17, I've quoted this before. We talked about it, I think, on Sunday. But Jesus said this in John 17. He says, I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work that you've given me to do. And he's praying to the Father there. And so when he says it is finished, he's talking about, okay, the plan that we enacted, the plan that we had, according to Ephesians 1 from eternity past, this plan, it is this role, this part of it, it is finished. What a beautiful time. I think about that is that it means then that what Jesus came to do was successful. And, and think about that. That was in the moment when all the disciples around him thought it was a failure. It, it was in when most people would think that what he came to do absolutely failed. It was actually him saying it's finished. It's been accomplished. It's success. The victory is ours. So amazing. Not only about the mission of the incarnation is accomplishing this word of victory, but also that the end of our sin has been secured. Okay, Isaiah chapter 53 says that uh, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Okay? And so when he says it's finished, he's saying, okay, it's, it's transferred. It's on me. I'm bearing it. The sins, I'm bearing it, and I'm accomplishing it. And so that means if it's on him, it's not on us. You say, well, wait a minute, I still sin. Yes, you do. 
We have a sin nature, and so sin is still in us. While we're on this earth, it's called sanctification journey. While we're growing closer to Christ, we're becoming more like Him. There's still sin in us. But my friend, when Jesus said it is finished, while sin may still be in us, it is no longer on us if we believe in Christ. When he's hanging on the cross and says, it's finished, I've taken it. The the burden is now mine to carry. It's now on me. It's so beautiful. Our sin was put on the lamb when Jesus went to the cross. And so the mission of the incarnation is complete. The, The end of our sin is secure. And this is what he's saying when he says it is finished. But then there's 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 at least, I mean, there's many more avenues. And believe me, I I deleted a lot of stuff out of this devotional tonight, okay? Because we could talk about this for hours. But let me just share one more thing about this word of victory is not only is it the the incarnation accomplished in our, our sin, the end of our sin is secured, that it's now on Christ. The enemy's power was broken when he said it is finished. Hebrews chapter 2, the author there says that through death, he, Jesus, might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Hebrews 2.14. He says it was through the death that Jesus broke the power of devil. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain, or, or God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So, so really, the, the enemy that we have is a defeated enemy. So when Jesus is hanging on the cross there, there's so many different things that were going through His mind, I'm sure, and so many different things. And when He yells out, It is finished, to tell us die, He says, Part of what he's saying is the power is broken. Think about the significance that means for you and me. That means we really can say no to temptation. That means that we really can say no when we are tempted to sin with X, Y, Z, however that is, whatever is that, that, that sin that seems to just trip you up all the time. You know, when I look at this, when Jesus says, it is finished, he is saying, he's saying, the sin's on me, I'm bearing the burden, the power of, uh, of, of Satan is broken, the, the whole reason I came of the early atonement is accomplished, so stop, you don't have to keep doing this. This is Romans 5 and 6, is it not? And so as I look at this on this Good Friday, I, I see what Jesus has done. I see him hanging on the cross, and my heart is just moved to just worship him and just be in awe of him. And, and in one moment, I want to scream and shout and jump up and down, and the next moment, I just want to cry. As he hangs there and he says, it's finished. It's done. So, Jesus communicated care and need and victory on the cross. And so as we reflect on the cross this Good Friday, let's remember that we're here to honor people like Jesus honored his mother. Let's be encouraged that Jesus understands our humanity. Let's reestablish our submission to the Father's will like Jesus was submitted to the Father's will. Let's be grateful That even though sin is in us, it is no longer on us if we are in Christ. And then let's live in the reality that the enemy's power truly is broken. I've heard it said that if you want to see 
best example, or the most horrific example of God's wrath and the effects of sin, you look at the cross. But if you also want to see the best example of God's love and His mercy, look to the cross. It's all there. It's all there.